The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Try out some ethical, paid-for porn for free with none of those hidden fees or secret subscriptions when you sign up at HotMovies.com and use the promo code MANHORE. Are you looking to buy or sell used panties during the coronavirus outbreak? Head on over to SophiaGray.com to start selling or buying today. And for a limited time, you can use promo code Billy, B-I-L-L-Y, for 30% off all memberships at SophiaGray.com. That's SophiaGray, S-O-F-I-A-G-R-A-Y.com. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Fuck on the floor, fuck in the shower, fuck in the kids' room, fuck in the parlor. Just don't fuck in that room where grandma died. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. All right, hey people, how you doing? I hope uh, how you doing is inside. Despite whatever your stupid fucking governor might be doing, I'm talking to you, fan whores in Georgia and South Carolina and such. I mean, I'm glad I've been hearing stories of uh, of fan whores being responsible sluts and and postponing threesomes and denying requests from hot people on Tinder. I know it's sad and lonely right now. I know it's frustrating right now to not be off like with all these other partners or to not get attention from these new people or to not go to that like, you know, swinger weekend you were excited about. I know. But remember what Jefferson taught us, episode 17. Uh, Jefferson, remember he said, there's always another Bukaki. There's going to be another sex party. There's going to be another weekend at that swinger resort. There will be more threesomes, I promise you. It's just not now. So I hope my people are doing the right thing and staying the fuck home. Because trust me, I want to go see my fuck buddies too. I'm mostly disappointed. I'm disappointed that I live in a country that is so selfish. Like that truly does make me um, sad, I will say. But here's something that's making me happy, people. Uh, And I hope you all, uh, this is uh, directed to my Australian fan whores. Uh, I have an article coming out in Marie Claire magazine in Australia. I have a, yeah, I have an article coming out about uh, my love on lockdown situation. uh, The whole poly quarantining thing. Everyone seems so fascinated by go pick that up. Marie Claire, the May 6th edition. And uh, if anybody wants to like grab me a copy or two and mail them back to the States for me, holy shit, that would be really nice because um, I'm unable to get it. Yeah. Uh, And now for your emails, people, your emails. I'm glad to see so many people enjoyed my conversation last week with Mistress Matisse. I know I did. I got this one email uh, from from Rhonda. Rhonda writes, I'm really enjoying this episode. She's the best. She's the kind of person who I want to go have a coffee with in Seattle, then binge on her writing, plan to attend a rally with her, and then cuddle with. I, I mean, I think I need to go down a rabbit hole and binge on her for a bit. I think I dig the guests that are intellectually and sexually advanced in their crafts. And her dancing sounds amazing. I want to learn pole dance tricks from her. Gosh, I love it when I fall in love with your guests. Like I said, uh, you know, she's not on it as often anymore. But like back in the day in the old Dan Savage Lovecast 
episodes. I mean, she would be a frequent person on there. That's where I was first exposed to her, but she's also a great follow on Twitter. So do the thing. Uh, as you all know, we've been doing March Madness on my Instagram stories, right? And uh, one of one of the episodes that made it to the uh, the Fet Life Top Eight, one of those episodes uh, was episode one sixty one with Melanie, talking a bit about BDSM and pet play and such. Uh, but that, I, you know, I was so confused. Not look, I'm not saying it's a bad episode. I'm just saying I didn't think it was like top eight all time, and I was so curious like why it was advancing so much and i i messaged a bunch of people and dm'd them being like hey the people who voted for it, i was like hey you know like just curiosity like did you remember this one like why'd you vote for it this dude he's gonna stay anonymous for this but um you know he he said the 13 reasons why opening where you opened up about your own cry for help regarding suicide is why I enjoyed Melanie's episode so much. Then there was the random acts of muff dive between you and Melanie and how nervous she was while walking over to meet you. That was great. But the 13 reasons why opening really affected me due to my mother's suicide and me finding her when I was 14. My wife and I also watched the show. Feelings usually get the best reactions. And I was like, wow, like I... I remember the opening, of course. I, I I guess I didn't realize how much sway that would have with people um, in terms of what their favorite episodes were. I mean that. I mean, thirty reasons why really hit me in the dick, uh, and I'm glad I had an outlet to share my blubbering thoughts at four a.m. But yeah, I guess I need to re-listen to that one because so many people seem to dig it. One more message exchange I'll share. Uh, this one's actually didn't come to me. This one was sent to my girlfriend. On Instagram, someone was asking if I had been on another podcast, uh, name redacted, we'll say. I'm going to say it's called um, Pussy Chat, right? That's We're going to say it's called Pussy Chat. She asked if I had been on Pussy Chat before, and Megan told her, sure. And this woman said, oh, my God, I totally listened to that episode he was on. I remember his podcast name. That show, Pussy Chat, is trash. And I stopped listening. But I remember the episode he was on, I was about to be annoyed at men in general, but then he was way more progressive and feminist than the women hosts on the show. I was super surprised. (laughs) Um, I thought it would be a fun women's sexuality podcast, but they ended up being so weird about sex workers and trans folks and, to be honest, gay people that I had to unsubscribe. Well, I hope that uh, that former Pussy Chat listener has come on and subscribed to the Man Whore Podcast. (laughs) Uh, And if you want to send me your comments, your questions, your revelations, your titty pictures, your complaints, you can send all those over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. I don't I don't ask for this often, but hey, if you're an Apple podcast listener, I would love if you would rate and review me on Apple podcasts. Give it five stars. Say some nice words if you have the time. Honestly, I think y'all have the time because we're all inside (laughs) indefinitely. Go take a moment. Leave me a rating and review. Before I get to this week's guest, Steph Autery, a uh, a sexuality writer and author of the memoir A Dirty Word: How a Sex Writer Reclaimed Her Sexuality, uh, I I have an update from a past guest. A few months back, I had on my my dear friend and fellow stand up comedian and podcaster Caitlin Rupert, and she told a story about the fella she'd been seeing and. 
how she's been incredibly patient with this whole I'm not ready to commit to you yet thing and the whole talking to my ex-girlfriend thing, right? And I think we all, I hope, were in agreement that she needed to break shit off with him. Well, oh my, there's some updates. There are some updates. Uh, I saw some updates on Facebook. She gave me some updates, you know, one-on-one via text. And I asked if she wanted to come on and do a bonus episode. And it turns out that uh, not only were there updates, there were even newer updates once we got on the podcast. And there were updates for when we were done with the podcast. So, you know, Caitlin's love life seems to be a hot mess. And it was great to just catch up with her on it. Uh, So I'm going to play a little teaser of this bonus episode, which comes out tomorrow exclusively on Patreon. See, and here's the thing that that loops me in and makes it so that I have trouble leaving him. I understand the plight of a person who loves an alcoholic and who is with an alcoholic. Now, like I wasn't with my mom, but like I had to be with her. And she was Mm -hmm. very, very emotionally uh, abusive, emotionally manipulative, um, just like in general, like a terrible person. Like she would go on these arcs of like, being terrible and then saying I'm sorry and then you'd be like well you're still my mom and so like I could see where he's coming from with the well she's really sorry like she was I'm sure really sorry after she did things and when she would say things and then she would promise to get better and to go to rehab and then he would stay with her and he would think staying with her helped her sobriety and um I'm sure or he would try and control it. Like, whatever. All of these psychological... I've read all the books. I know all of the fucking- I bet you she's told him that. I bet you she said, no, just talking to you helps me stay sober. Yeah. that's the emotionally manipulative shit you oh, do yeah. to keep someone around. Absolutely. Like, alcoholics have all sorts of ways. And the, really what they should have done if they wanted her to get sober is to leave her in fucking jail. The fact that they bailed her out of jail is why that woman is still a goddamn alcoholic and she will be for the rest of her fucking life. I I watched my mom drink herself to death because people kept enabling her. So it's like you're never going to have that. They're never going to get better as long as you're picking up the phone and staying with them. And like Mm -hmm. and like he makes so many concessions for her. And this is the thing that annoys me about our relationship now because we're we are six months down the line. We're a half year. When we first started, I like talked him through things. I was like, go to go to Al-Anon. Like you'll have you'll be surrounded by people who understand. Go to therapy. Make sure you tell your therapist that you were with an alcoholic because it's really important to like your recovery and like for you emotionally. And so like he did a lot of those steps but then um, he would still not emotionally detach from her and like was putting her ahead of me. Cause at some point mm. my emotions did get involved where I was like, you're making it. So an alcoholic is yet again, controlling my emotions. If you want to gain access to the full bonus episode with Caitlin Ruper, as well as nearly 200 bonus episodes of the man whore podcast, become a member today at the $5 tier or higher at patreon.com slash podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast. Oh, we got bonus episodes with Andrea, Allen, Nina Hartley, and so many more. Hey, we even have a bonus episode with my seventh grade crush. So again, become a member today at patreon.com slash podcast. And now for the fan whore appreciation moment. Great time to do it. This is the part of the podcast where I like to give a few shout outs, just a few, to members of my fan whore community on Patreon. Uh, these are wonderful people who are helping, uh, you know, 
keep the lights on at the apartment that I'm not staying at and food in my belly when my girlfriend says it's my turn to buy groceries. <laughs> uh, this one's going out to uh, Josh Anderson, which I think is a fake name, but like I, you know, because I have their real name, but I know it's not the real one. That's fine. It's just a weird specific fake name to choose hey stay slutty in sydney whatever you want me to call you uh shout out to tiana oh gosh tiana is low-key and underappreciated cute name i i don't think the name tiana gets what it deserves but thank you for giving me a little bit of what i deserve tiana much appreciated uh thank you to devin thieven devin thieven i think of like any given sunday willie beeman uh uh, it's Devin Thieven. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know the words to the song, but I do know how to say thank you for your money. I also think I remember uh seeing him share some amazing drag photos because he does drag. Uh some great drag shots in the peep show. Thanks for sharing them. You looked great. And a big thank you to Ryan. Singular name, Ryan. I got no last name. I got no social media. I got no interaction. All I know is your name is Ryan and you you give content creators money. And honestly, I don't have to know much more. Hashtag support content creators. You did it. Thank you so much. And now for this week's guest, Steph Alteri. Uh, Steph is a, is a writer. She uh, has interviewed me for a couple of her articles over the years. Uh, I think I've talked to her about like male sex toys. We've talked about prostate stuff. Um, and she wrote a book uh, of her own is a memoir. It's called A Dirty Word, How a Sex Writer Reclaimed Her Sexuality. Uh, I read it. And, and honestly, I hate memoirs. I hate memoirs because I, I find them to be like a little self-important. I, I find them to be like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I I never find them as useful as like a history book. and yet. Very much enjoyed Steph's book. Really connected with her on a lot. We connected uh, both in the podcast episode and reading her book about, you know, mismatched libidos between partners and like the stigma of talking about sex on the internet and the assumptions people make about you. So I was really uh, thrilled to to connect with her to chat about that. Uh, and I didn't expect we were going to talk so much about, you know, sex positive parenting and, and age appropriate sex education. This is a good one. I hope you all enjoy it. And let's go ahead and get to Steph Alteri. So I got a job with an organization, uh, ASECT, the American oh, yeah. Association Sexuality Educators, Counselors, Therapists. and Yeah, the organization um, that intimidated me out of even uh, uh, pursuing a career in sex education oh, at the no. bright young age of 18. Oh, no. I went, on the web- I went on the website. I was like, maybe I want to be a, I was a freshman year mm-hmm. of college at NYU studying communications, didn't know necessarily what I wanted to be yet, hadn't started doing stand-up yet. But I was like, oh, you know, like sex education, we didn't get any of that in high school or anything. I actually think I'm actually outraged at how little I knew. I was like, I want to, maybe I want to do that. And I, I, you search how to become a sex educator, right. a sex like the first thing that pops up. Mm-hmm. You go on there and it's like, well, you need a bazillion hours of X, Y, and Z. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, guess I'm never going to do that. It's the very complex, very <laughs> complex. Uh, it is it is terrifying because at one point I was like, oh, this, yeah, sex ed sucks. Um, maybe I could go into that and make it suck less a little bit in, in my corner of the world. But it, it is quite intimidating to think of everything that you need to do. And I'm at a part, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I can't do anything new. I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to learn the piano now? Right, right. Um, 
but I got this job as a senior writer and editor for them. So I was interviewing a lot of educators, and it got me more interested in what educators were doing. I think they're pretty awesome. And I, I became more aware of how crappy sex ed is across the country. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so all over the place, because district by district, um, these districts are deciding what kids will learn. Mm -hmm. And some districts, not so fantastic, what the kids are getting. And because I had a daughter, um, well, I got pregnant. I found out I was pregnant as I accepted the job. Mm -hmm. So this all of a sudden became a lot more relevant because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to raise my daughter in this world in which everyone's me tooing all over the place. And it feels like it's inevitable that someday she'll have her own me too story. And that seems horrifying. And where do we um, how do we change that? And I feel like it needs to start with sex ed, early childhood right. sex ed and like building a foundation from there. So I just after um, after I was no longer working with ASECT, I just started uh, writing articles up the wazoo about sex education mm. for whoever would pay me to do so sure yeah but before you were writing about sex education you were just talking about like sexuality sex toys and things like that mm -hmm. i started with sex toys uh eventually shifted to female sexuality um the lie of female sexual dysfunction the medicalization of female sexuality so that was my focus for a while and it was all about my own experience and then I guess as my own experiences shifted and I started caring less about what was going on here with me mm -hmm. and more about my daughter, that then my writing shifted as well. Yeah. How long how long ago was the uh did you start the freelance writing about about sex? That was back I, in college. I'm just, I was really nervous to say sex. Uh, <laughs> I can tell that you that's one of those no no words for you. <laughs> how how did you write about coitus? <laughs> Um, that was, how old was I? I was, I think, 20, 21 when I started writing about sex. Mm -hmm. And it was just an internship that I had fallen into. And it's because it seems like like women in their 20s are like mm -hmm. who are freelance writers are like the prime people writing about <laughs> sex and sex toys. And oh, my gosh, a sex party. Yes. Yes. Like, it feels like they will collectively gasp on behalf of the rest of the nation mm -hmm. about some new sex craze. Right. Right. And it but it felt it all felt so new then because I mean, nerve was just starting at that point right. when i started oh my god i feel so old to be nervous and even there anymore How old are you? i'm 39 oh okay and there there wasn't a sex writer at every publication then there weren't yeah. sex bloggers all over the damn place um i was just i was like oh nerve that's so cool and it was so new and i was like i can i can get into this short this is a lot of fun um, so they started by throwing all the sex toys at me and I would write about that. I would write mm. about the porn. I would, um, get a lot of free condoms and lube, like whatever, whatever. It was basically, I was writing for a personal site and they had the naughty drawers. Wait, what was nerve? You well, said it was nerve, a personal um, site and I was like, well, now I'm lost. Oh, no, no, no. Before then I was discovering nerve at the same time I started writing for this personal site. Gotcha. What was the personal site? The, it was erotic boulevard. And it was a, it was just for people to. It was an adult personal site, and there was another personal site also owned by the company and called wanted... People to People. That was a little more romantic, maybe. Oh, a they, because you know, people. It's romantic when people get together with people, right, but otherwise, right. people just trying to fuck. Well, right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they want content on the personal site, I guess. Yeah. So I was writing content for both sites, and I was like, okay. 
I I didn't realize I was interviewing at first for that. Yeah. I thought I was interviewing. It was owned by the same company that owned the Boston Phoenix. So I thought I was going into interview to write for the Boston Phoenix, which I was like, that's really cool. I read the Boston Phoenix all the time. I was going to school in Boston at the time. And um and it was like, no, that's that's not what this is at all. Nope. Well, how would you feel writing adult content? And I was like, what's that? But th- out loud, I was like, sure. Yeah. Um, sure. What is it? <laughs> there's a there's a gay porn director who has a similar story of like falling into the industry. Mm-hmm. She goes by Mr. Pam. And she like is went in for like she got like an editor after college. She like got an editing job, mm-hmm. like doing post production. But sometimes this company would quietly take on a like porn clients. Got so it. sometimes she'd be cutting normal shit, and mm-hmm. sometimes she'd be doing post production for gay porn. Right. And then one thing led to another. Now she's like one of the leading and then it's gay like porn the, that it's your niche. Then it becomes your niche somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Just because someone maybe inappropriately assigned you something that you weren't aware of. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. And and it, well, so I read your book, mm-hmm. uh, A Dirty Word. Yes. And memoir, and I, which I don't normally like memoirs, but uh-huh. I, I enjoyed I reading this. I appreciate you reading it. I did read it. No, no, it's not. not no, it's, uh, no, I was going to read it regardless. Well, we met, <laughs> we got connected because you were interested about, like, I think me coming. I th- yes. Men coming with stuff. Men coming but with toys. I, I hear that and yes. it's all Billy focused. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, you were writing about. I was. Uh, I talked to you about the pulse, the yes. uh, hot octopus pulse, and mm-hmm. then I think you also asked me about. You may have later asked me about prostate stuff. I can't remember, but yeah, like maybe I, the first time we Forever, talked, yeah. I got to know very. You got to know very intimately about like my orgasms. Yes, and then I like that in your book you you put in a little postcard and you uh-huh. wrote like you were basically apologizing for how much I was about to learn about your sex life. Yeah, as if you didn't know plenty <laughs> no, well, about this mine. Is true. This is true. This is, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Well, I mean, what was your attitude about your sexuality going into like in the early days, like that internship and your early days of of freelance writing (laughs) about sex? Uh, Well, I had had a single uh, sexual relationship at that point. Not a very great one. (laughs) Not a very great one. It was sort of shitty. So at that point, I I was full on scared of sex or, or getting into another sexual relationship. So I was sort of a little bit frigid, I guess. I, I was I was very standoffish with men as far as intimacy went. And then I fall into this internship where they're like, write about these toys. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, like, how much can I get away with without having a sexual partner? Yeah. Which is, a, I think the very, maybe the very first scene in my book is me trying out what I did not realize was supposed to be a partner dildo, a double-ended dildo. Oh. And I'm like, oh, Oh, okay. Who's this other? Who's this other end for? And then you look longingly into the ether. Well, right, right. <laughs> the ultimate, just the ultimate act of like slutty loneliness is to have a double-ended dildo and no one to take on the other end. It's so sad. It was so sad. I was like, I need to do this, and yeah, no, it wasn't happening. <laughs> so you were you were very tight about it, uh, but over the years, loosened up. I mean, I'm still, I've still. <laughs> I'm still ter- I'm still <laughs> I'm still very vanilla. For as much as you have shared about your sex life on right. the internet, it's interesting if you still have some un- uneasiness. Oh, well, it's just that I have I have a low uh sex drive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um whatever that means, low se- in relation to whom. Yeah. But um I've become more like it used to be a source of distress for me just because I worried about what that would mean for 
whoever whomever I was with at the time. These days, I'm like, well, that's just who I am. Yeah, that's just who I am. I have a lower sex drive. Fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Me myself, I wax and wane through high mm-hmm. and low sex drives. As everyone does, right? Yeah, but when your profession is around sex and right. the son that you covered in the book, which I connect, I connected to them. I started writing in the margins of the most in those um, portions where you know you're sharing how people perceive you or mm-hmm. treated you once they learn what you did for work. I get treated a very different way when they find out, like I, you know, I talk about fucking for a living mm-hmm. and so like i get treated in ways that like is fun and like novel right but i also get treated in ways i'm like you're not talking to a person you're talking to a topic right, right now and mm-hmm. i remember there's a human here yeah yeah no people make so many assumptions about you when they hear that you write about sex and i am like the opposite of that assumption <laughs> the opposite of that assumption um so I mean, the people who know me the best know what I write about. They know the aspects of sex that I write about. So they know that that is not me. Mm-hmm. But when I first meet people and they're like, oh, what do you do for a living? I need to sort of take a beat and think, okay, how are they going to react to what I do? How much do I want to reveal? How do I want to spin it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm a journalist. I write about women's health, for example. Women's health. <laughs> The weirdest, like, hey, this is about sex, but if we can't say sex, say women's health. Right. Because, like, the people who are, like, all stuck up about sex also mm-hmm. seem to be stuck up about women's health. So if you say women's health, they won't ask any questions. Like, that sounds like period stuff, and that's gross and yucky. Uh. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but, like, dating, you know, what was what was that? You, know, you also went through an interesting time period because you were writing about sex as Googling someone became more and more a thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like starting now where like everyone knows right off the bat whatever you put on the internet's forever. Right. You were starting off before you realized someone <laughs> might search your name and find things about you. So what was it like dating in this time period where like searching your name is all sex stuff? Um, oh God, I'm, I'm trying to remember in relation to to dating. All, what I do remember is that that first uh, that first gig writing about sex. The guy was like, you know, you you can use a pen name. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm having fun writing. I want my byline. I want my byline out there. Like, it didn't occur to me to care yeah. uh, about what that would mean later on. And then later on, I, I saw it as a great barometer, um, like how people reacted to it. Like, you know, if you have a problem with this. Maybe I don't want to date you or I don't want to work for you or whatnot. So, it, well, I guess I, I was going to already ask it anyway, but you bring it up. It's like, it, it, I would love to hear both. Do you have a, can you remember an example, I guess, first in professionally where mm-hmm. it was an issue? I feel that, um, well, I sort of started with the sexual writing, but then left it after I left college and went into traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. So it never came up at that point. But then when I was nearing my the end of my time uh, within book publishing, uh, I was starting to search for free. I was trying to get into freelance writing. And I found that editors were so thrilled that I had that background in the sex writing. So it was actually a boon for me because that was at the very beginning still, because it was a thousand years ago, um, that people were starting to bring on more sex writers. And they were really hungry for people who were willing to just write about their sex lives and not be weird about it and to be very open about it, just have a sense of humor around it. So it was, I don't think it ever hurt me professionally. Um, 
interesting. I'm working on a project right now with my husband, who's a web developer. Um, I'm putting together an online resource around sex education for people who are looking for um, more information on sexuality or for people who are looking um, for tips on how to advocate for better sex Mm. ed within their communities. And we're like, oh, we're like a power couple. Let's pitch something to this word camp somewhere in New Mexico because we want to go to New Mexico. So why don't we pitch? It's a WordPress conference and they have conferences all over, well, all over the world. Okay. So, and Michael is very involved in the WordPress world. And (laughs) so he goes to these conferences anyway. So we thought we could pitch a joint session. And so we communicated with um, one of the organizers of this conference, and we're like, this is what we want to do a session about. We didn't even send a full proposal, and they just dismissed it out of hand. Like, we don't think that would be, that would fit in with our attendees. I'm like, Michael, what what is this all about? Uh, (laughs) I thought we actually had a good proposal here, and we didn't even share the whole proposal. And he's like, well, they might not be comfortable with the topic of sex and you know (laughs) and it's weird because because i've been writing about sex for so long it doesn't occur to me even though that is literally what i write about people being uncomfortable about sex like but it still doesn't you forget whatever how everyone else might feel about right right like do you get like that at parties at all i get that social gatherings like i don't know where the boundaries lie sometimes right you go like i don't know where your boundaries like shit piss and blood those are the usuals and everyone's like no sex period right (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah Uh, there's a woman i know who pitched my book to her her book club okay and i was like "Ooh, that's so cool that would be great to talk to a group of women about the sexy sex um but one of the women was apparently very uncomfortable bringing it brought up so much for her that she was just like no we're not we're not doing this book in the book club so it, it oh. takes me aback sometimes. And then I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's why I wrote it, right? right? Because people are so uncomfortable talking about it. And hopefully this can help them talk about it more. But, you know, it's not going to work every time. Yeah. So right, freelance writing about sex stories and porn and stuff kind of, you know, transitions to sex ed with the kid because mm-hmm. that's like the new interest. Right. Because there's a new human involved. And yes. where is it? Where is it at now? Is it still in the sex ed world or are you writing... Uh, do you write about marriage and sexuality and how you keep that going and whatnot? Or I mean, my my work has been less personal these days. I mean, uh-huh. after writing a book, I mean, I'm sick of myself. I'm sick. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick, I'm sick. I mean, isn't everyone else sick of reading? It's been about almost me six years. My, I'm not <laughs> done talking about myself. <laughs> I feel like me and everyone else is sick of my sex life. <laughs> so I, it's been it's been more reported stuff, and it's been a, a lot around the sex ed. Um, Though it's funny, I, recently an editor approached me about doing a piece on dating. And I was like, well, I'm like old and not dating. But <laughs> but I, I ended up reporting a piece that's not out yet. It'll be out, I think, in March on millennials dating in New Jersey. Um, so it, <laughs> it was very interesting for me. to. I felt like I was traveling back in time to write a piece like that. And and it was interesting because um, as much as things have changed in the dating landscape, uh-huh. especially with dating apps um, and with, you know, millennials, I hate to generalize about generations. Because you're technically, you are a millennial too. I'm like on the cusp of <laughs> right. millennial Gen X. So they're like the economy, this and that. Millennials ruin everything. Um, dating is dead. Uh, but, <laughs> but 
But I have found that as I was reporting the piece. Um, you know, things are exactly the same. Yeah. Things are exactly the same. There's just new names forever, like ghosting, whatever. People were ghosted back in the day, but you know, it was you just never, just what they, they never called, called you, right? And then right. you tell someone who's you know 24 that they're like, "Wait, what's a call? What <laughs> you exactly. called people? Period. That's... What's that landline that's hanging on your kitchen wall? <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing? The one mom has as part of a bundle to get cheaper cable. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> This is the most we only get spam calls and my mom on that phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, so you're finding that through talking and reporting, you found that things are about the same, at oh, least in absolutely. New Jersey. And I even I went out. I had a, uh, some millennial friends, some millennial friends bring me out in Hoboken where I hadn't been since maybe before I was married. Okay. To, and, and we went out in the same area where I used to go out. But I keep saying back in the day. I, it makes me feel a thousand years old. But um, it, it all looked, at, it was the same. Every The entire scene was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it made me think, oh, yeah, nothing's changed. We're all still scrambling. Was your editor upset that they couldn't do like a flashy headline <laughs> about how millennials are killing things? You know, when I got the assignment, I was concerned because I didn't want it to be that kind of thing. When I heard they were doing an entire issue on millennials, I, I, I was like, uh, I don't know how this is going to be. I yeah. don't, I don't want to be one of the people piling on millennials with a bunch of stereotypes. But it, he seemed fine. He seemed fine. Sure. I was nervous. I was nervous. I was going to send in my piece, and he was going to be like, I regret everything. I am killing this piece now, but he was he was happy with it. When you got when you were getting assigned stuff about sex and dating, like do editors kind of come at you with like, I already know what I want the piece to be. I just want you to write it. Like here's the end that you need to end up at, and here's the topic. Go forth. Yeah, like I get a sense of what of, of what an editor wants, and then I'm like, I don't I don't want it to be that way. But how can I find this happy medium so it's smarter than than what I think they want? So it's more nuanced than what I think they want. Sure. So so I try to get find that happy medium. Okay. And it works out. <laughs> <laughs> so you're raise, you're raising your daughter. Yes. And you are it seems like you wanted to have a good comprehensive sex education. Oh, absolutely. So how how does one, you know, how you girls like two She's three, five. Five? I know. Yeah. Did I I don't even remember when the, well, when we like spoke I said, all like the, what my all situation the, was. How how do y'all plan on tackling the subject of of sex and dating? to a child and or and as she's growing up do you mm-hmm. have y'all kind of mapped out here's what we'll do around this age range and when they're preteens, we'll do this mm-hmm. and then the teenagers will do this chat like or what's at least the conversation with your husband when it's like okay so i want her to be a informed being so i, ha- I have an entire shelf of books <laughs> That's first of all, there's one shelf that's all the books for me as a parent about how to approach sex ed with your child at home. And then there's a whole other shelf I have that's all the books that I will eventually pass along. Like I already have books. She already has books on. When she's 15, here's the ethical uh, slut. You get that. Right, right. right. Like right now she's reading about here's all the body parts. Here's what consent means. Here's what boundaries are. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then later, it, you know, it gets progressively more. And so, more. how how she responding to that stuff about you know, especially the consent stuff? Because I think there's a, a definitely a movement going on right now mm-hmm. for children of like that five year old range, that mm-hmm. young age, to like teach them that they don't have to hug everyone or right. and things like that. Well, she loves that. She lo- I feel like she hangs that over people's heads where she's like, "I'm not going to hug you. I'm I'm giving you nothing today." 
nothing. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel <laughs> she's also learning at a young age how to she use her physical sass. affection for <laughs> for her gain. Oh man, um, but it's hard to know how much she's grasping the concepts because I mean, please. She's also at an age where she's like attached. I feel like she's so attached to me. Sometimes she's trying to crawl back in there. She's that close. Like there are no boundaries. Oh gosh, there are no boundaries happening. So it's difficult to teach her about respecting other people's boundaries. Mm. I feel like she's better at grasping that I can tell people no, but she's not God, hear God it forbids no. someone else. Exactly. She she doesn't want to hear no. Forget it. Well, it sounds like a boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and, but was there a conversation between you and your husband at, at some point, whether when you were pregnant or just when she was born and such? I mean, there have been ongoing conversations, and I share with him the, the stuff I learn about, you know, smart parenting around sexuality. Well, and he's on board. I mean, we've we've always, for example, uh, used the appropriate words for different body parts. She's mm-hmm. known what a vulva is for years. Um we we try not to you know transmit body shame we try to be comfortable with our own bodies so that she doesn't then you know sort of absorb that there's anything to be ashamed about that's such a fine line you know to work with you know having being comfortable with your body but also having boundaries like this is privacy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's so complicated but when i speak to to educators it's like even even if they've written the book on it they stumble too with sure. trying to figure out <laughs> How do I handle this conversation? You know, when's the right time for this piece of information? I mean, you're constantly, you're, I mean, as with all parenting, you're always winging it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sex is just another layer of complexity. Oh, gosh. Well, what, I mean, has she come at you with questions that you were like, I don't know if I answer this one yet? Or have you, has she come at you with questions and then you're like, can we table this till tomorrow <laughs> so I can go Google? <laughs> It's like if she asks what something is, like when I was, was it when I was? No, it was maybe around the time when she was two or so. I was, I had a giant stack of condoms on my desk and she's like, what's that? And I tried to deflect. More time passes and she's like, what's that thing? A condom. So I'm like, it's a condom. Here's some basic information. I mean, at this point, she's read books that teach her what you know, sexual intercourse is what penetrative intercourse mm-hmm. is, where where babies come from. Um, it's about teaching them the basics, and then you you just slowly build on that over time. Like yeah. feed them a little bit more information, a little bit more information, and you just need to treat their questions very literally because they're asking for really the basics. They're asking for exactly what they're asking about. Yeah, and sometimes we flip out because we were like oh my god are they asking about this big crazy thing and what does that mean about what's going on in their life but it's really it's really it's they chill. might just it's have chill. seen something be like what is that right just like exactly anything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, i think one of the things people freak out about when you talk about putting like comprehensive sex ed in schools is people go you know they throw like oh, the the thought of like age appropriateness mm-hmm. it's like oh well that's not appropriate or like negotiating like which things are appropriate at which ages right so how do you i mean have you who like garnered- is to determine <laughs> right but it's like well have you been gleaning anything from like this whole shelf of books <laughs> prepping you um that you thought were like really good tips that you know other parents might want to know well again the 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 fact of remembering that the questions they ask are literal mm-hmm. is 
probably the most important thing to remember if, if your kid's coming at you with any questions at all. Yeah. Um, there's a, I did this one piece for Jezebel that lays out all the um, age ranges at which kids start um, learning about different concepts or um, becoming more aware of how people um, relate to one another in different ways, intimately or otherwise. And I, 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 I bookmarked my own piece <laughs> so I could remember, like, okay, at this point, they're going to start wondering this. So, you know, maybe start seeding that into conversation. Okay. Uh, and also using uh, using pop culture like the TV they're watching, the books they're reading to open up conversations around how characters are relating to one another. Okay. Do you have, has a, has a particular example popped up recently? Re- oh, God. <laughs> we just now that we have disney plus i also don't know what five-year-olds watch so i have like no idea like i can't even bring up an example i feel like i feel like we don't know what our five-year-old is supposed to be watching and so like for example now that we have disney plus she's like what's that and so we started watching the original x-men and they're all like the way in which they're drawn is so sexualized oh, like it's just yeah. like boobs and butt all over the place so uh, I don't think we're actually showing our child. I feel like she's watching things that may be slightly beyond her years. So we, she, the other day, she's like, I want to I try that show. It was Kim Possible, which I had never seen before. Oh, Kim Possible's fun. That's my era. That's, that's I mean, my era cool. of the Disney Channel with the Kim Possible and time. And she loves girls Stevens. who are superheroes. She, yeah. She, she likes to see other girls kicking butt. But the very first episode, within the first 10 minutes, it's like, it's all about how she has this huge crush on this boy, and I'm like, why is every, why is every single superhero girl show revolve around the girl? Like, she's also obsessed with Miraculous Ladybug, and this girl is a superhero, and she's kicking butt, but she's just all about, I can't even remember, Adrian, that's his name, Adrian. <laughs> she's all about Adrian, and she just goes, she gets stupid when she's around him, and I'm like, Emily, <laughs> it makes it seem, this show makes it seem like the most important thing in, in the world is you know this relation her relationship with it with this guy but there's so much else going on i mean there's so much there's so much about her and about their relationship to each other that is so it's more important than this crush she has like why and is that a conversation that occurs with you and your daughter it is it is though i don't think you know she's at the age where every time she sees someone kiss or even be affectionate or like make eyes at each other she's like oh no what's happening and she she like covers her eyes and she's so embarrassed but wait till she wait till she googles her mom in a few years oh man oh man <laughs> that's a whole other conversation that's right like she she has her her my stick i have a whole set of stickers like vulva is not a dirty word and sex is not a dirty word i gave her the female is not a dirty word sticker she's seen nice. them all but you know <laughs> again she'll grasp more as she as she gets older Okay, okay. You you also talked about, uh, well, you made mention of earlier, um, an organization to, uh, correct me when I'm wrong, if it's an organization or a place you were running for to help other parents want to demand better sex ed in their districts? Yeah, so I'm... Because when I look at the Guttmacher Institute mm-hmm. site, I Oh, Guttmacher is great, and Seekus is great. What was the other one? Seekus, uh, S-I-E-C-U-S. S-I-C? S-I-E. Oh. CUS? Yes. They they track all the legislation in all the states and then they, they also just put out a great resource for people 
who want to advocate for better sex eds. Okay. They're doing such fantastic work. I'll link to them and Guttmacher in the site. Guttmacher, if you want to like visually just see what the current sex ed landscape mm-hmm. is, great. Which is always depressing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only, I think it's only 17 states require that uh, sex ed be quote, yeah, medically something like accurate. that. I feel like it hasn't like changed bad. in years now. It <laughs> hasn't changed since But how do writing. we change that? Like, how can like citizens, like parents who pay, their, pay taxes and pay for a school district to teach their fucking kid so that they don't have to teach them the Volvo words. Right. You know, wh- how, d- how do you get your school on board with something that resembles sex ed? I feel like it's a combination of presenting them with the research, which mm-hmm. overwhelmingly shows that abstinence-based sex ed is is not doing our kids any favors. I think you need to present them with that research, but also bring in the personal stories maybe because anytime you're advocating for anything i mean you could give people research until their eyes glaze over but if they don't see the humanity in what those numbers mean then their hearts aren't going to be changed to be mm. completely like lifetime moment but um they, they need to be able to connect to a story in order to fully understand the impact of the negative or positive impact of something have you done anything in your particular school district I have not yet. This is. I mean, I know she's. I also know she's young. So, but I've actually been considering. See, I have not been a churchgoer in many years, but I'm considering joining the Unitarian Church just for their fantastic sex ed. Wait, what? Yes. What? The Unitarian Church. Huh? They have. They, in collaboration with other people, have uh, created one of, <laughs> the, one the of the best sex ed curricula out there, and. Um, so I'm I'm seriously considering joining the church just so my daughter can benefit from that for for children or I guess oh yeah, that, yeah yeah and what what do they what do they what do they teach I mean have you like, like seen what they do I I have I have seen the curriculum I haven't observed any of their okay. classes I would love to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I pay to stream that but I mean it's just an example of. What, it's a good example of what a comprehensive sexuality mm-hmm. education curriculum should look like with all of the information kids should be getting, with all of the inclusivity that kids should be able to have in their in their education. Y- yeah, you should. T- I'll send you a link. Please, please do. <laughs> so you want you want infiltrate you want to get to the church just the the benefit from the yes the sex ed. That's okay. Okay. Um, so if you want to go to your school district and try to make some sort of change start and tell that personal story, maybe mm-hmm. you found some other parents who want to band together and be like, right. look, here's some numbers, here's some stories. Mm-hmm. Can we make sure our kids aren't going to leave your school dumb about this? Right. Who do you go to? Like what, like practically what does one do? Do you think? Usually you, you go and speak with the board of education mm-hmm. because they're making uh, a lot of the decisions around which curriculum they adopt. Okay. So it's not just calling your local state rep or something. No, 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 no. The, the, um, it's the school district. I mean, you could talk to your local state rep to, to, you know, raise visibility or whatnot, mm-hmm. but it, it's really the, the school administration, it is the the board of education. It is the other parents in the district too. You want the other parents on board. And the thing with sex ed, we see a lot of it's a very vocal opposition to comprehensive sex ed. But the numbers show that it's a very small vocal opposition. That most people 
It's like people Most like parents, Sensei on Twitter. It's like a lot of people on Twitter want to bring Sensei back. But if you look at the numbers, <laughs> not really a lot of people watching. <laughs> And that's that's always the case, right? It's the most vocal, the most vocal people who are super passionate and intense about something. It's usually there's not as many of of them as you would think. What's the usual opposition to having sex ed in schools? See, on both sides, people who who want better sex ed, people who want abstinence focused sex ed, they they both want to protect their children. They they both want their children to be healthy, to not. Ha, you know, engage in risk-taking behaviors that lead mm. to STIs or unintended unintended pregnancy. Um, but those who are in opposition to comprehensive sexuality education, they they I feel like I know that they feel that uh, teaching someone about sex is tantamount to giving them permission to mm. then be like, go and have all the sex because I am giving you this information. Right. Instead, when rather giving them the information allows them to make make informed decisions about, you know, what they may whatever they may come up against. I've heard some people do the whole like, well, that's something that should be taught at home, right? Argument. I go like, but the people at home they weren't taught sex ed, mm-hmm. so why do they know what they're talking about? I mean, ideally, <laughs> it should be teachers and parents working together. There, there should be conversations at home for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where it should start, but. They need to be working hand in hand because if kids are going to school and not receiving the same information that they're receiving, if it's in opposition to what they're receiving at home, then they're just going to be confused as heck. Yeah. Um, and I've also, I've also, I've, I would like to be in a place where like we could leave it to a talk at home mm-hmm. 20, 30 years from now, a generation or two of people being taught it and then they have kids and then they actually do know what they're talking about. <laughs> It's like right. we don't we don't have that. Like I don't trust a kid going to ask their parents everything about STIs because that parent mm-hmm. doesn't fucking know either. Possibly right. they're just gonna Google and who knows what link they clicked on. This is true. This is true. But you know when when parents the way parents react to the questions sort of in it, it, it helps to impart their values to the mm-hmm. kid and then the kid that's how a kid first starts to develop their own feelings around what sex is and what it should mean to them. Yeah. So if a, a parent is open to, you know, if they don't know something, you know, trying to figure out the answer together, then then, then that's a lot better than, you know, you don't need to know that yet. Yeah. And now that your kid is of play date age, you know, it's like, <laughs> is is that something you're nervous could be an issue of parents knowing what you've written about ha, and then sending your kid over? <laughs> I am... S- I am so concerned that because my daughter may know more than other kids, um, even if just the the correct terminology for things, that she's going to share that information, not thinking it's a big deal with her friends. And then the parent's going to be like, I wasn't ready for my child to know that. I'm, I mean, I'm nervous about that for sure. I'm curious uh, how to how you'll how you'll try, I guess, negotiate there's nothing wrong with this. And here's right. information you should have that's age appropriate. Mm-hmm. But also, this is not appropriate to go just talking about all the time nonstop. Right. Similar to what we talked about where like we we might go to a party and not uh-huh. realize why everyone's like boundaries and relationship with the right. concept of just the concept of sexuality, not even mm-hmm. their sex stories or something. Yeah. We forget like, oh, yeah, not everyone talks about like, oh, this uh, crazy new toy came out mm-hmm. and it's uh it's bluetooth connected so i mm-hmm. feel like that's a wild craze in the sex toy and i forget not everyone's following the trends in the sex toy industry uh-huh. so 
you have to like teach her like this isn't something everyone's going to be comfortable talking about, but there's also nothing wrong with it. Really, right. they're crazy, but also you can't tell them <laughs> really, they are they're crazy, because, right? oh God, that'll start a thing. Right. It's like, I don't even know how you'll begin to tackle that. I feel, I mean, I mean, we're having enough right? problems with boundaries. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel it like it'll be... It is a confusing be, boundary to set. I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't want to set the boundary, like don't talk about this, but if she ends up talking about it and something happens because of that, like if there's blowback from that, yeah. I feel like then is going to be the point where I explain, you know, some parents aren't comfortable, you know, teaching their kids about this quite yet. They mm. don't, they're not ready to yet. So we need you're to respect so that. Emily, you're, you're so, so you're so smart. You're but so the other smart. children, they're not, they're not going to be ready for it. So you don't want to throw that in their face right, right. that you're the cool hip one. So just kind of keep it, to yourself for a couple of years. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe she'll be like a peer educator someday. Oh, <laughs> one can only hope and dream. That's right. But it would suck if like her, you know, you guys being sex positive parents, mm-hmm. teaching her age appropriate stuff, you know, would lead other parents not wanting her to play with the right. other kids or, you know, interrupting her socially or God forbid she had like a, some shitty teacher mm-hmm. who, you know, if she asks one question, the teacher's like, she's, you know, the devil. Uh, right. I mean, you just have to hope like 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 I do with my sex writing using the fact of it as a barometer for whether someone mm-hmm. is worth working with or engaging with. Like hopefully it, it could be the same thing for her. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's But then again, parents and kids, I mean, they're not the same. <laughs> a kid might be okay with it and their parent not and then that's a shame. I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer to oh. that yet. I'm going to have to like deal with it when it happens. <laughs> I I can't wait to see that article. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's where your writing could get more personal again is if it is in regard to being a sex positive parent? It could, um but I'll need to be careful because I was mommy blogging when when Emily was first born and for maybe the first year or so of her life. And then I then you get to a point where you don't want to, well, you don't want to exploit your child for your own financial gain. But, Unless it's a lot of financial like, gain, then well, you get a show on sure, TLC. Sure, But she'll understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she'll be like, when she's a college, be like, yeah, yeah, but that, sh- that show that traumatized you did pay for college. That's right. That's right. But I want her to, I mean, she's, she's going to be at an age at that point when I need to check with her if she's comfortable with me writing about uh-huh. stuff within the context of our lives together. What? But but that's the thing with writing personal stuff anyway. I mean, I've been writing about my sex life and luckily I have Which a husband who's other people fine a with times. it. Yeah. So ha- having married Michael, I mean, my re- my career could have looked very different if I had married anyone else. Um, but Michael's, Michael is shameless. So he sort of gets a kick out of seeing himself in, in, in my work. Um, someone else maybe would not have been cool with that. And so I would have had to be... Had to be writing very different content. So you would have chosen the to write different content and not just not be in that. Maybe I would have focused on uh, reported work earlier rather than writing so much personal stuff. Sure. Um, but um, oh god, where was I going? No, I mean <laughs> this is exactly where we were. Was like it, negotiating, you know, what you share that vol- of your life. Because mm-hmm. like I've been on dates with someone who's like, "Will you ever talk about me?" It was like. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like talk about you. I'm mm-hmm. going to talk about me that might involve other people well, right. such as you because that's also my story uh-huh. too. So I'm not going to let someone tell me I can't tell my story after the fact or right. something like that. 
but no, but it's is true. Yeah, no, like when you write about yourself. When I, I, I feel like anytime I write anything personal, and I, I've taught this in writing classes about writing about people, writing about your friends and family without getting disowned. Is that it, that's a, is that a, is that a seminar you teach? Because I, 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 I've taught that webinar. workshop yeah. at a at a, at a literary it. festival once. Love um, it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I teach that I always I when I'm writing about personal stories that involve other people, mm-hmm. I'm always harder on myself than I am on anyone else. I mean, because it's my life. My life is We're the focus. We're looking at me right now. We're it's looking like, at me right now. But yeah. but I'm not going to make any assumptions about anyone else's motivations, what they were thinking in that moment. And I am not going to, I'm not going to cast a poor light on someone just for funsies because this, this is about my flaws right now. Yeah. I mean, this is about what's effed up about me. But if you're being like, you know, if you're trying to do it well, you know you're not going to be focusing on them right right um but there's a lot of people also don't do it very well who put things out there but there's there's no like standard of like what you can or can't do right like the criminal standard is that you can't lie about people right publicly with mm-hmm. malicious intent right 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 outside of that it's you need it kinda, to decide what you're comfortable with and what you're like, willing yeah. to risk in your personal relationships sure and some people and sometimes even professional because like mm-hmm. you know i think in the there are certain factions of the sex positive world that mm-hmm. are so hyper consent oriented that mm-hmm. they've almost like the word doesn't it's like used too much mm-hmm. so they're like no, you need everyone to sign off that you shared a thing and they need to be able to like, you know, proofread the draft and then like also mm. give final, you know, final approval and you have to agree to change everyone's names and situations. Oh it's like, but that's not realistic and mm-hmm. it's not the standard because right. the same people say that love a Taylor Swift song. And how was that? What was that written about? Oh, right. That's right. She just get, she I used to work at Gossip Magazine. She gets in relationships sometimes for the content. And <laughs> so why is it OK when Taylor Swift does it? But someone who's not nearly as famous right. does the same thing. And, and it's so odd to negotiate and- yeah you need to figure those things out for yourself you need to figure out what if there's fallout are you okay with that i would argue this is i don't think uh the people who claim like well i'm a private person i would be like unless your facebook and twitter and instagram are all set to private mm-hmm. i don't think you're a private person mm-hmm. i think we have all by being on these social media channels have placed ourselves in the public eye right and therefore to on a spectrum of severity are open to public ridicule because mm-hmm. the same people who would say, get mad that like you told a sex story about them loves that meme that that person didn't agree to, didn't intend to become a meme. Right. It was just his yearbook photo. Yeah. Right. So, so I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they don't think about much until it happens to them. Right. And in the, in the way the internet and content is mm-hmm. s- personal stuff is really hot. And yeah. that's going to involve other people if only one person's telling it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, interesting. But when it comes to the kids' stuff, is a whole different dynamic. Oh, yeah. Because that kid's not even cognizant enough to know what's happening. Right, right. And she should be able to have it. That's what, yeah. I, I started getting uncomfortable with writing about her because I was like, if she read this years later, how would she feel about it? And she's going to feel differently at, at different 12 stages, versus yeah. 17 versus mm-hmm. 37. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, by 37, she'd be like, oh, you know, it's great that I have this to read back on. Right. But the 17-year-old version would be slamming the door. And right before she does, she'd be like, I can't believe you used me for clicks. <laughs> right? It's like, what? what's, you know, who knows what's right? Yes. It's so hard. <laughs> and he, he took well to the uh, writing about the. I think you, you may have. When we did a phone interview about mm-hmm. the Pulse, you might have made mention of like, oh, yeah, just everyone knows about like all the sex toys my husband has had to use for me. He's very good. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, 
poor man. Yes. Um, he's put he's put up with a lot. He has. But <laughs> I feel lucky. Like he's gotten to a cuddle party with me, which neither us. I mean, we were both like, eh, this re- isn't really our scene. But he did it because I was writing about it for nerve. Sure. Um, I mean, we. Was there a Reed Mahalko cuddle party? Just curious. You know what? I I felt like that was like he was one of the people where like he made that like his thing for you know it may have been before I knew who he really was like because it was wait who he really was no I mean he's a big educator who he really was (laughs) no I mean him as an educator (laughs) (laughs) sorry Reed no that's not what I meant hey Reed (laughs) no I'm knowing him as you know. A big name within right. the, the sex ed world. So at the time you were like, some guy's throwing a cuddle party. Right. It wasn't like, Reed Mahalko's throwing a cuddle party. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it was still it's so, so weird where like a sex celebrity is. Right, right. And how not celebrity it is mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. overall. So so he was very, Michael was game for so many things. I mean, we did a, do you know Jamie Waxman at all? I know, oh, J-A-Y-M-E. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know who that is. I've, I've followed her on Twitter, I think. I met her at a sex party a billion years ago, and uh, she ended up... Um, For research? I did, I'm trying to remember. I did end up writing about it, but the, the hostess had invited me after I had interviewed her for some homework assignment I had. It's all very circuitous. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so I met Jamie, and then she was doing a story for Women's Health. Uh, where she was giving sex homework to couples who were having sex issues. Sure. Um, so I convinced Michael that we we should participate in this story for yeah, Jamie. Did you convince him y'all had issues? <laughs> I mean, here I am, the low libido person. He has a higher libido than me. Um, so we had to, our homework was to go to a sex shop together, pick out something, give it a test drive, mm-hmm. write about it or t- tell Jamie about it. The thing was, we had to do a photo shoot, too. Um, so there we were, awkwardly posing with sex toys. It was the most awkward thing ever. We're, it's terrible. But um, I went away on a conference. I was still working in book publishing. And Michael calls me while I'm at the conference. And he's like, oh, my God, the people in my office know. Because someone in his office had been flipping through women's health. And they're like, oh, my God, is this you? And then like wildfire it spread throughout the entire office and people were giving him so much shit about it what kind of shit well people were just making fun of him for for even participating in such a thing and they i mean there were lots of jokes people were like making noises like vibration noises because you know vibrator queen woohoo yeah um, it's like wait, why is this a, why was this bad right people right. are coming in, in this thing but you know, it was it was a, more of a conservative work environment at that time. Uh-huh. Um, you ever hear the Lenny Bruce? Did you ever listen to Lenny Bruce? No. Joke? He had one joke about the the word to, like the word come, mm-hmm. and it's like if that word makes you feel you know uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you, do, you know a whole list of negative adjectives. Like if you feel this, that, and the other thing when you hear that word, you probably can't come. <laughs> Maybe that's really the right. issue here, right? So there, there was clearly a lot of discomfort around the office, but you know, how do you handle even it? Even after that, I mean, he just you know laughs it off. He, he's very, he's very good at that. And he, even after that, he was still fine with me writing about sex. I mean, he might not share all of my stories on his Facebook, even though mm-hmm. the people like his family they're all they're also following me. It's not like they're not aware of what I write <laughs> about. <laughs> but um, 
he was he was never he he never suggested that I should stop writing what I write, mm. and I feel lucky for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, how's um how are how do the conflicting sex drives um, work out? I mean, I, are y'all y'all are because from my the, what I took from the book was it seemed like y'all are a monogamous marriage. Yes. So how do y'all handle the differing libidos? I mean, it's it's still a constant negotiation. There's just and I'm a high lotion budget. That's, that's right. With so much so much lube. Um, and yeah, that's right. We just need to be cool with the fact that, and and I need to be like, you know, Stephanie. Sometimes you have to just push yourself a little more there. You just need to at least because a lot of the time, I mean, this is getting into Emily Nagoski's talk around um, how arousal works. And how uh, often you need to be um, stimulated before you can become aroused. It's not like instant, I'm going to be in the mood. So sometimes I need to be like, Stephanie, why don't you just roll with some intimacy here and see what happens? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Instead of just being like, nope, not in the mood. Let me read. So... Is that is that working? I mean... Sometimes it works more than... I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, how how do you feel when he's really horned up and, and wants some and you roll with it? And then you're still kind of like, yeah, not now. Well, sometimes I roll with it and I'm like, okay, that was, we did that. It's done. (laughs) But sometimes I'm like, nope, I'm just, I'm just, I can't, I can't go with it right now. I feel guilty, but I don't feel as guilty as I used to Mm -hmm. because again, I know there's no such, though people usually feel that the person with the lower libido is the problem. I'm air quoting right now. I know no one can see my air quotes, but (laughs) they feel the person with the lower libido is the problem. And I, and thanks to like books like Emily Nagoski's come as you are, I I realized that, you know, I'm not the problem. It's just, that's just my sex drive. It Mm -hmm. is what it is. And, you know, being in an intimate relationship with someone, it's just constant negotiation. I mean, in sex and in everything else. Right. What kind of like um, clear conversations happen around that topic over over the years? Of, of course, it's interesting because for me, the conversations started very early on in our relationship. Um, and at when our relationship began, I was in that point where I was like, I clearly have female sexual dysfunction. There is something mm-hmm. wrong with me. So our conversations were a lot about how can we fix me. Like, how can, how can we work on this? And that was me using sex writing as like a way to like shock myself into enjoying myself. I don't know, figure out how I can boost my libido. And uh, so the conversations early on in our relationship were very much of that tone. Like practical. Right. Like what can we do? Let's try this new thing Mm -hmm. and see how that goes. But then once... Once I realize that I'm not a problem, it's just like we have a couple problem here, or maybe it's not a problem. Let's figure it out. Then, then the tone and conversation shifted, mm-hmm. and I that you know, having to being married to me, Michael's very he 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 knows the ways. He's very uh, intimately knowledgeable about the ways of the the consent conversations and <laughs> the libido, <laughs> and the, you know, there's no such thing as low libido, and you know, he he's heard it all at this point. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and and there did the question of monogamy come up at any point in this relationship of whether or not he could go say seek out things outside the relationship or happy ending massages or whatever. Right. It's funny that when we were first dating, I wanted to, 
to have an open relationship. I think that was my own. I was. I'm a well. You're, I'm a commitment phobe. Okay. <laughs> so the the thought of committing to any one person was terrifying. So I'm the one who suggested that we have an open relationship, and he was like, "Nope, I am a traditionalist. This isn't happening." <laughs> And Interesting, because I thought you were going to say you proposed an open relationship to almost like pass off that responsibility of the right. relationship of a relationship. It's like, um, yeah, I want it open so you can go get this part that I don't really do right. all the time elsewhere. But interesting. You were like, no, just uh, commitment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and he shut it down at that point. Uh, so it's never really, I mean, every so often. At this point in time, I'm like, I'm too... I don't know how I would feel about an open relationship emotionally. I mm-hmm. don't know how I would feel about it. So I feel like it's not even on the table anymore. And we're both like, we're too tired. <laughs> like, what, where would we have, where would we have time to yeah. date anyone else? Especially with the five-year-old running around. That's right. And we're I guess, both, I, you know, I guess I think about like, you know, like in seven years when the, when the 12-year-old can kind of start taking care of themselves uh-huh. a little bit more. Oh, God. And then you now so have a little away. extra time, a little extra energy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know that we would ever, I feel at this point, I feel at the time I was thinking of an open relationship as an out for myself. And that's not really how one should be approaching sure. an open relationship. So, um, yeah, I don't know that it appeals to me as it once did. Okay. Does, does he still come at you? Does he come at you sometimes with, like, does he ever feel, and sorry if I'm, this is too much asking about him when he's not here. So you can you can veto if you want. But does he ever come at you saying like feeling like unsexy because of you not wanting to do stuff at a time? I'm pretty sure he has um, felt that I don't find him attractive because because I'm so often not in the mood and and I have to be like, no, this has nothing mm-hmm. to do with whether. I mean, sure, I've been married to you for ever um so things aren't as exciting as they once were but you know it is what it is i still find you attractive i still love you this has nothing to do with my feelings for you i'm still learning how to express those things as well because uh you know it's a rough one but yeah again it it seems like y'all have really worked out the the communication part of it i mean yeah we're we're good on communication (laughs) (laughs) a lot of communication we do so many radar (laughs) check-ins uh yeah no and I'm uh, I am navigating that as well. So, uh, but but it's it's stuff like that. Like I don't know. I felt way more can I connected with you reading your book more way more than I expected to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you mentioned libido in there, in mm-hmm. which I connected to that, and then there was also the stuff about people making assumptions about you based off of your work, right? Which like I I deal with and I already deal with assumptions made about me because I talk about sex and I have this face, and then like to hear anything about sex parties and this, everyone thinks I'm some sort of like you know, sex addict running around well, fucking right. all the time. I'll be like, I don't know. I don't fuck nearly as much as people think I do. Uh-huh. So, you know, is is weird. Um, but yeah, it, the the book was really great. I hope people will go check it out. It's called Dirty Word. Um, where can people check you out if they want to follow your writing or um, read your old mommy blogs? Oh, God, please don't. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm at stephauteri.com. I'm also... You want to spell that for Oh, yeah, folks? yeah, sure. Yeah. S T E P H A U T E R I dot com. And then you'll find links there to Twitter and Instagram. And I have a newsletter. You'll find a link there too. Ooh, what's in the newsletter? Okay, it's called Thunder Thighs. Um, oh. <laughs> and it's about women's health. Um, you know. <laughs> but it has, like, you know, it has stuff about, you know, reproductive health and, 
you know, consent, rape culture, you know, it runs the gamut of all the, all the stuff I've All the fun juicy about, topics the, we talk exactly, about here. Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, everyone go check her out over there and stuff. Thanks for uh, chatting with me. Sorry Thank for the you. delay of getting Please, out here. It's fine. I'm here. <laughs> Where am I going? <laughs> I'm here. I've got toys to pick up. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this mommy I feel like I, I was like, oh, it's going to be the man whore and the mom. But here ah! we are. This will spin- be interesting. That's our spinoff. That's right. That's our spinoff That's show. That's right. <laughs> but th- thank you, everyone. Thanks. Okay, not for nothing. That that The little knock on Reed Mahalko. I just wanted to. I'm just joshing there. Reed's good people in my book, okay? Uh, <laughs> I was just teasing I want to know what you thought about this week's episode. What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? What was in your loins when you heard it? All right, tell me all of that and more at manhorpod at gmail.com. You can also do so more publicly over on the social medias. Uh, you can tweet at me at the Billy Uh You can comment or you can DM me on Instagram at Billy is and if you're a Facebook person, you know, and which all of you are, you all have an account, even if you don't use it a lot, I would appreciate it if you would go like the Man Whore Podcast Facebook fan page. Did I start my OnlyFans yet? No, not quite. But I am on Patreon, where we have a thriving fan whore community of like-minded, sex-positive listeners, just like you. Become a member today and gain access to the community at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Not into the whole membership thing, not really into subscriptions, don't really need the bonus episodes, but you just want to stuff some dollars into my proverbial G-string, which... You know, I would let you do, except I don't wear underwear, so there's no G-string to tuck it into. Um, I have Venmo, I have Cash App, I have PayPal, and I have the information for all of those in the show notes of this episode. All uh, all money things, all dollar sign stuff are appreciated. Uh, next week on the pod, I've got on porn star Lauren Phillips. Talk to her back at uh, back at AVN back in January, uh, back before things went fucking ape shit. Back when it was all about just avoiding Seattle. We'll go back in time to a better time with her next week. Uh, we got the bonus episode with Caitlin Rupert out tomorrow and another Corona cast this Saturday. Please stay the fuck home. Please stop trying to organize gangbangs during a pandemic. There will be another time to stay slutty.